This is part two of our episode with Dr. Julie Fraumany McBride. Yeah, and I'm curious. I think a lot of times when parents are talking to their kids, and I've heard this with like religious leaders as well, we tend to loop porn use and masturbation as the same problem. What are your thoughts on that? And how do we approach that conversation differently? Yeah, it's commonly lumped together. And that's that's another harmful thing that's really stemmed out of a lack of information. Masturbation and pornography are not the same thing. They're commonly used together, naturally so, but they don't, they don't hold the same outcomes when individually held. Uh, Masturbation in and of itself isn't necessarily detrimental to an individual. It's a very natural part of, you know, youth development. And we would be more concerned if someone didn't masturbate at some point in their life. You know, why not? (laughs) You know, it's just like we, you know, we talked about like toddlers are going to do certain things. They're going to make messes. They're going to experiment. They're going to touch the hot stove, you know, and likewise, we would expect similar behaviors for developing youth and teens with masturbation. And so any kind of condemnation or you know, negative approaches to masturbation are really not helpful because that's just something that naturally developing individuals are going to do at some point in their life. The emphasis really needs to be on avoiding pornography, knowing what to do when you see pornography, understanding the harmful effects of pornography, but also not catastrophizing the use of pornography like has been done in some cultures because it it doesn't have to destroy your life or future relationships to have used pornography or maybe had an issue with pornography, just being empowered with the knowledge to know how it can be harmful and that there's remedies for it is, is really, really important, you know? And so that's part of the the education efforts that I'm engaged in. And then as far as masturbation, um, you know, I'm not necessarily saying, oh, let's encourage it. You know, there's some sex ed programs in like parts of Europe that are really insistent on let's encourage pornography. I mean, uh, sorry, uh, masturbation for teens and youth as a healthy thing to do. And I'm not saying, okay, let's encourage masturbation all the time, but I'm saying, let's not discourage it either. That's something that we really just need to stop putting so much weight on when pornography is actually the issue, not the masturbation. Yeah. I love that. That was a perfect answer. And I think there's just, there's so many messages that we've gotten as like a society and in our, in our different faiths and just everything regarding like sexuality and, and pornography. And I think one of the big ones along with that pornography and masturbation are equally horrible and destructive. We've also heard like, I mean, I have literally heard this said like word for word, if you are dating a guy that has used pornography, like run. And oh my gosh, like <laughs> I could, like the absolute best people that I know have used pornography. And like, it is just completely. So all of this to say, kind of leading into the question, what do you say about couples or people who maybe go into a marriage and find out that their spouse has been using pornography and then just feel like immediately my marriage is destroyed? Like, there is no coming back from this. What do you say to that? Well, before I answer that, let me answer the piece about running from someone that's used pornography. I would say you're going to have a really hard time finding someone that hasn't used yeah. pornography. 
And so if someone's saying that they haven't, there are the rare cases that someone hasn't used pornography and maybe you have found that like very rare individual, but more likely than not, most individuals have used pornography, at least, especially with men and, and a lot of women have too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say that mindset just is, is really like unrealistic and unhealthy, those types of expectations, because everyone's going to have, most people are going to have used pornography at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, sorry, go back to that next question about the marriage piece. Yeah. So basically just asking, like, I've heard a lot of people say like, well, I mean, you get into your marriage and then you find out that your spouse has has used pornography and then just immediately it's destroyed and it's ruined. What do you say to those people? Yeah, and I would say I would say that that first that first answer that I just gave really is where people are being set up for failure is being told to have that expectation and then not being given the information to know that there's very simple remedies for it. You know, we have this ACT therapy now. We have this program at the Steadfast Institute. This is something someone can very simply learn to overcome. It's not going to happen overnight. But given the right tools and therapeutic models, someone could very simply overcome sexual compulsivity related to problematic pornography use. And it's not going to, it doesn't have to destroy your marriage. Sometimes the mindset that it's so destructive to your marriage is even more harmful than the actual harmful effects of pornography use. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, like, like I've talked about it a little bit before, but like if you're both going into it with the expectation that it's going to ruin your marriage, it might actually ruin your marriage, you know? And so, I mean, obviously that's a really hard ask and so much easier said than done. But like you said, like there are remedies, like this actually doesn't have to be something that is completely destructive. It can actually be something that, that uh, grows you closer together if you're both willing to put in the effort. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And people that come through our programs, we find that they have even better sex lives with their partners after addressing these issues. And, you know, part of it's from the education, part of it's from the discussions, but it doesn't destroy marriages for individuals that go through these programs or that, you know, take time to understand and address this issue. And in many ways, it enhances the communication and sexuality once you go through our programs. Yeah. And, and then the other piece too, I think is really just to validate for the individuals that do feel so much trauma by their partner use. It is very real to them because of what they've been taught about how harmful it is. And so I think for those, I would say like, not undermining the trauma you've been through. You need to go through some healing too, because it has been traumatic for you because of what you've understood about what it does to your relationship. And that can't be dismissed. Like individuals need to go through a healing process, get therapy themselves for that, but then also reframe some of the narratives that they've been taught to better understand that yes, the pornography can have some long-term negative outcomes for a relationship. And in some cases it can be catastrophic. However, in most cases, it's not an end-all situation. If they mm-hmm. just address it, it can resolve very simply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess kind of flipping the script on, it, oh, it doesn't necessarily have to be this like end-all, like the end of every relationship and it's going to destroy everything in your life completely opposite question have there been any have you seen any research on healthy outcomes from porn use for women yeah yeah and so this is a really important piece because because of the lack of sexuality education when individuals don't know anything about their sexuality about sexual pleasure 
it's going to at first maybe offer some resources and some immediate benefits to understanding your sexuality by using pornography. You know, when you're finally learning how to stimulate yourself or a partner experience pleasure to a greater extent, it's going to, it's going to have beneficial outcomes at first, right? Because it's educational in that way. And I'm not saying that to encourage any kind of pornography use because I think it's harmful and I don't think it's it's effective. I I advocate more for the increase in access to medically accurate pleasure-based resources for women, specifically women and for men, to better understand their anatomy, to better understand their sexuality, their pleasure, pleasuring another, because Pornography doesn't need to be that initial and only source of information to help you enhance your sexuality. There's more productive ways that are more holistic and more positive for your sexuality. But when we talk about the positive outcomes of sexuality, that's really the main one that we see is for people that don't have access to information like that to begin with, right? But we do see, and Brian Willoughby recently came out with a study and several studies that talked about the long-term negative outcomes of pornography use and how using pornography over time limits and decreases marital and or marital relational and sexual satisfaction. And so you might see the initial benefits if you haven't had the resources or the conversations, but in the long term, you're not going to see positive outcomes. Mm-hmm. That's super interesting. Like initially, greater yes, it's good greater awareness for the people that, but long term negative effects. Will, and I will add for critics that might say they might look at someone like Dr. Brian Willoughby and say, "Oh well, maybe those people were religious that said that." But mm-hmm. no, like if you know anything about Brian Willoughby, he's one of the top researchers in this space, and Brian Willoughby spends more time than anyone else making sure that religiosity isn't the factor, and so he controlled out for religiosity in those studies, and it found it actually had nothing to do with religion. Individuals that didn't have religious backgrounds also experienced a decrease in the satisfaction as well over time. Mm-hmm. That's that's super interesting. And I mean, we were talking about yesterday, it is just cutthroat. It's so hard to especially be religious and open about your religion in this space. So, okay, wait, let me figure out how I want to phrase my question. <laughs> I guess we did kind of talk about, do we want to talk more about how research, how like research on how porn is good? Like, have there been legitimate things posted about that? And how do you dispute that? Yeah, I would say I would say the research on positive outcomes of pornography can be just as murky and inaccurate as some of the studies done maybe by people that had underlying like moral or religious backgrounds that were really stuck in their views because we we don't really have a super efficient way to vet researchers. We just look at their methods, right? And so sometimes the methods just aren't that strong. Maybe someone has a background where they really, really, really love pornography so much and they want to like figure out a way to show that it's positive or vice versa, right? And so the best thing to do when it comes to these studies is really to look at these methods and rely on researchers that care very deeply about methods and the importance of those methods. And so I'm one of those researchers. I was brought up by one of those researchers. And when you, like I said, when I go back to like the work of Dr. Brian Willoughby, you 
someone like this, someone that even has a religious background or that works at BYU, it's fair to speculate if maybe they have biases. But when it comes to Brian Willoughby, for example, he specifically knows what he's up against with the biases and works extra hard to make sure that he cancels out for any of those types of factors that might be scrutinized. I would really trust work like that. But that's a whole methods discussion, you know, that, that we do in the peer review process. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Uh, Super interesting. And I mean, you're just saying like, we both are trying to figure out both sides are trying to figure out, but it is and huge respect to Brian Willoughby because I've read a lot of his stuff and he definitely does work extra hard to eliminate those biases. Yeah. Uh, and I guess kind of on this like like positive side, quote unquote positive side of pornography, a lot of people, you hear a lot of people, I guess with like the uptick of like OnlyFans and things like that where these women can use their bodies to make so much money and there's a lot there's a lot more I guess sex work going on and a lot of people claim that it's empowering and it is their their best way to financial freedom what do you what are you what are your thoughts on that I have a lot of different thoughts on that. I don't do research specifically on that, at least not yet. I hope to eventually create programs for women, maybe coming out of the sex worker industry. But at this point, my opinions on that are one, women that are working in sex work and men working in sex work, they're humans. They deserve to have rights. They deserve to have protections in the field. Absolutely. Number one, fundamentally. Two, is it empowering? I'm sure at some points it's empowering when you come into like this full realization of your sexuality and you feel empowered by your sexuality. I think that is empowering. Do I think that most people want to, as a profession, work in sex work using their sexuality in exchange for money? No, I don't think so. I think this comes down to an equity issue. I think we're looking at disability equity? Did people have different intellectual impairments? Did they adequately get an IEP when they were in grade school to address learning difficulties that maybe would have enabled them to get a greater education or access to education? Did they come from socioeconomic backgrounds that enabled them to have resources so they could be successful in other ways in their life? Most of the time when you're hearing these OnlyFans stories, you're hearing the story of someone working as a teacher that's not getting a living wage to live in a city that's too expensive. And so then they turned to OnlyFans. It wasn't their first option. It was just the only empowering option because it afforded them resources to be able to live their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think anytime, anytime that happens, it, it's great because people feel like they can make money it diminishes a lot of their sexuality for themselves and for their partners though you know and there's not a ton of research on that but you don't need to be a rocket scientist or have really strong methods to really look at what's going on and see hey sexuality was something meant to be between partners that share a bond it's supposed to be this most like highest form most intimate form of communication between partners and when you're selling it off to every individual that's willing to offer you whatever amount of money they're willing to give Mm -hmm. uh, you're definitely diminishing the 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 you know the the privacy the privacy the the intimacy of that sexuality that's really meant to be something very very um 
private for yourself and for your partner. And so I think it's really unfortunate. I think it's really unfortunate that we don't have policy addressing the equity issues, you know, ethics surrounding the equity issues. I think we have another issue too. We don't know who's driving the campaigns behind all this. Who's gaining from this? Who's who's making money from all these people being on OnlyFans? Yeah. Who's perpetuating the campaigns to encourage sex work like let's follow the money okay <laughs> when we have politicians in places like cambodia saying oh yeah these women they love to work 24 hour days in the factory they're sewer they like to mm -hmm. sew they love the work they're hard workers let them work it's like yeah they want to work they're trying to put food on the table but yeah conditions are not okay. The work's not okay. They should be able to have equitable access to education so they could do something that they feel that's more meaningful to them. Sure. If they want to become like, like a seamstress and that's something they're really power passionate about. Great. But who's perpetuating these narratives? I want to see the person behind the curtain. Who's like the great wizard of Oz that's perpetuating this narrative. Because I know for a fact that these women on there right now, this wasn't their dream job. Yeah. Not growing up, not as a teen, not as a young adult is something they fell into because of a lack of resources and a lack of equity in our society. That's been a big issue for a very long time. And it's something that we also need to grapple with as a society and step up and make sure people have a living wage and have equity when it comes to education and disabilities and socioeconomic status yes amen like i we were we were saying yesterday i don't think anyone asked their kids hey like what do you want to what do you want to be when you grow up and they're like oh mom i want to be a sex worker no no one i don't think any kid has ever said that it it really is it comes from a problem of scarcity and lack of resources and I feel like that is their only option and obviously, I mean, I can't speak for every single sex per sex worker in the world. Like, I know that there's exceptions to that, for sure. There's um, always exceptions. You know, there's an archetype that, like, might be drawn to that field. But I'm telling you right now, it is not in droves like we are seeing. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, it's so true. Okay, kind of a kind of a shift little question. But talking about all of these, like, OnlyFans and women using their bodies to make money and profit off of it i've heard a lot that when men view pornography they they can't help but like completely objectify the women in their lives and they can't see them as more than especially when it gets like really lots of compulsive porn use they they can't help but see like the women in their lives as just objects or just for their body or or, you know, when they see a woman on the street, that's that's all they're thinking about it. And I've heard that from from men and from just different accounts about men. What does that side look like for women? Because as I I think it's episode four, no, five, episode five with Elijah, um, she talks about how she had an eating disorder and she also was using pornography and those going hand in hand just made her extremely objectify her body and she couldn't see any I guess value out, outside of that so what does that look like for women is it the same like are we are we having the same response as men where we can't help but objectify every other man or woman in our lives or is it a little bit different okay well so to backtrack a little bit as far as men objectifying 
every woman they see in their lives after using pornography. I would I would kind of backtrack on that because mm-hmm. I would say there there are cases where that can happen, you know, I think in, in more intense cases, and maybe there's a little bit more of that for men that are having problematic pornography use. But I also think it's not fair to the many men that are using pornography regularly and trying to stop that aren't really doing that, right? Yeah. Like they, you know, and so that's where we go back and say, like, we can't can completely catastrophize the issue yeah, yeah. because so many people are using it and they're not all doing that, right? And we don't know exactly from the research how they might be objectifying women. It definitely is true in a lot of cases. But so just to to tone that down a little bit, because yeah, for sure. Yeah, just just to be fair to the men and for for the women as well, we don't know exactly how they're maybe objectifying themselves, right? Like the women I've worked with, they've definitely had some comorbidities with the body image issues, perhaps the eating disorders. And so we don't we haven't really picked apart yet to know like why that's happening. We just know that it is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's actually a study that I'm going to be working with with another researcher who specializes in body image and eating disorders. And she's going to she's an expert that's going to be advising and working collaboratively on the data set that I have with women's porn use to really looking at what the relationship might be. But I do know from the qualitative study that I have done that even when women with problematic pornography use used literature based pornography that had women with different body diversities described in it, that they still felt shame over their bodies and why that is, we haven't been able to fully understand yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting. Okay, I'm trying to think how I can like segue to this, but I guess, so yesterday when we were talking, you talked about how lesbian pornography is super common when women are using pornography. Can you talk about kind of why that is? Yeah. Yeah. So we don't have like super solid evidence on this quite yet, but the the underlying understanding that we have right now is that it's not because women tend to like lesbian pornography better. It's because the way that women are being depicted in the pornography is more centered around female pleasure. So most pornography that's like video-based or photo-based is made from the male gaze, from male pleasure, and it doesn't focus on the female element of pleasure. And so a lot of women tend to like the lesbian pornography because it focuses on the vulva and understanding how to pleasure a woman on the vulva and women become uh, more understanding of their own sexuality and how to pleasure themselves. And so it it becomes a, it becomes something that's very appealing to women. And so I've even had women in the qualitative studies who have always believed themselves to be heterosexual, become confused about their sexuality because they're viewing lesbian pornography so frequently. And they start to question their sexuality and rightly so everyone should, should question their sexuality at some point and come to a solid understanding of what their sexuality is. But it, this is different. It becomes harmful to the women because it's just as harmful for a heterosexual woman to have her sexuality suppressed as it is for a lesbian woman to not be validated in her own sexuality. And so we run into some issues there where women become confused about their sexuality when engaged in pornography. And then we also have in the study where we found that lesbian women were viewing more hardcore pornography, which also alludes to an equity issue when having sex education, not 
having equitable access to information as a gay woman and understanding the complexities that come with her sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, while you're talking, you talked about how they viewing lesbian pornography, they're able to see more of like what pleasure for a woman looks like. And so that sounds like sort of an educational learning type of thing. And so let's talk about like the learning versus pleasure. Are people really, are are they going into it saying I'm viewing it because it's, it's my only form of ed- education versus I'm viewing it because it's pleasurable. What does that look like for a learner? Yeah. So it all depends on like when they begin using. So if they're a younger age, most likely they're unintentionally exposed to pornography, Mm -hmm. right? Via either, you know, an assignment they're given at school to look at a reading website that happens to have literature-based pornography or on their Kindle looking at Amazon books and then exposed to pornography there. They're either unintentionally exposed or they you know, maybe at older ages are seeking out pornography to get information or to understand their pleasure, uh, their pleasure maps, their, their sexual scripts better. And so it's, it's, it's twofold at minimum and they're kind of comorbid, right? So even when you're unintentionally exposed to pornography, it becomes this mind blowing learning experience. It's like this explosion to the brain where you're learning about your sexuality, both in a way that's probably more educational than you've ever had opportunities to learn about sexuality and then, you know, engaging and practicing your sexuality. And it becomes this like multidimensional experience that's educational in both physical, intellectual and other ways. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it's not necessarily one or the other. It's. it's Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit of both. Yeah. Mm. But depending on the situation where it's more heavy. But I did find in my research that women, over 70% of women are using pornography to learn about sexual pleasure, regardless of the type of sex education they received. When women are using pornography, they're trying to learn about pleasure. You know, Mm -hmm. they're not going to pornography to learn about how to use a condom. They're not going to pornography. Some are, but for Mm -hmm. the most part, they're not. They're not going there to learn about how to prevent unwanted pregnancy or SDIs. They're going there to learn about pleasure and obtain knowledge and information on that. And pleasure is one of the driving forces of our sexuality. You know, it's not, our sexuality isn't just to procreate. It's, it's a of our being it's a part of our well-being how we connect with ourselves and with a current or future partner and it is a driving pleasure is a driving force behind sexuality yeah yeah okay final two questions okay so i just i think it's been so interesting this throughout this entire interview there's just been a theme of it all comes from lack of education like that is just there's just so much and really the pornography oftentimes is not the initial problem. It's just not being educated about that. So I just think that's super interesting. And there's not, you know, like we can't go back and just educate ourselves, but we can start now. We totally can. And so I guess that kind of leads into the final two questions. First one, what would you say to a young girl, maybe like eight to 14, who is struggling with pornography right now and feels like she is the worst person in the world and feels like she's just so gross. (laughs) I would say it's okay. You're going to be okay. 
okay. Don't panic. You're not gross. You're probably going to have a really great sex life someday. We're just <laughs> going to get you some steadfast. We're going to give you the courses. We're going to give you the information. You're going to have all that info. Then you're going to find that perfect person. And you're going to have a really good sex life. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. It's all going to be okay. I think that's perfect. It's just, <laughs> I love it. It's such a message of hope. It doesn't need to be this destructive, scary, scary thing. So no, it, it doesn't. It really, really <laughs> doesn't. There's no need to panic. It's just all about sex education, getting the information you need. And we find that people, you know, sometimes we're like, hey, you know, you can reapply our model, everything you've learned over time. But sometimes we find that like after even going through half of our program people like that really don't have like that severe of issues as they thought they did it almost resolves itself having the information yeah. the information is really the power you know yeah. and working through that information and applying it to your life i love it amen <laughs> okay final question what what keeps you on the front lines talking, speaking out about pornography? Like why even care? There's so many people that are saying that that it, pornography is a good thing and it's natural. So why, why even care? Why even care? That's a good question. Give me a second here. You know, I think I am specifically drawn to doing research specifically related to women. One, I'm a woman. Two, I think it's really interesting because we as a society, the way we've kind of approached women, we seem to have a little bit more compassion and empathy towards women when it comes to vulnerable conversations. We're more willing to hear women, which is kind of ironic when it comes to the sexuality stuff and pornography because women have been so boxed out of this conversation. But when we talk about women and we talk about their pornography use, and when we even go into some of the more problematic types of pornography, which we won't cover today, people tend to be more compassionate when they hear the story from some of the women, because we have this underlying belief that women just can't possibly be like bad or super evil, which isn't always true. But when it comes to this topic, I think it is true. You know, with women viewing pornography, I think we give women a little bit more compassion with this space and we better understand them and realize that we need to extend the same compassion towards men or people of other genders, identities, and really understand that there, there's something going on. Sexuality is the deep part of who we are. It's a deep part of our existence. Our gender is as well and different components of our sexuality and that we need to extend compassion when understanding this topic and studying this topic. And we need to extend it to all those genders and that men deserve to be understood when it comes to the space too, given the proper remedies. And I think, you know, like this is part of how we solve like the relationship issue in our society, the divorce issue in our society. Sexuality is that basic fundamental building block of our relationship. And if we can't get the sexuality piece right, we're going to have catastrophes with relationships forevermore. So I see sexuality as being this vital component of relational health that we need to understand that we need to get right that we need to understand for multiple genders sexual orientations different identities and complexities and if we can't get this right for individual identities we're not going to get to the root of of what's causing the distress with sexuality within relationships mm -hmm. yeah amen and i i've just loved throughout the whole podcast 
like how willing you are to just admit when you don't know things. And I think that that is so important, one in research and just two in life in like life in general. And especially with this topic, uncertainty is actually an okay thing. And like, because that means that we get to learn more things and it's actually a very, very exciting thing. And so I really do respect that about you because I think a lot of times, like I like with parents, if they don't know, they just feel like they have to act out of fear and become some kind of dictator and pretend that they do know everything. It's actually okay to not know everything. And it's actually fully expected. There's no way <laughs> you're going to know everything. And so, yeah. So oh, any, yeah. any, anything that you feel like you're leaving out or final message before we wrap up? I think what you just said hits the nail on the head. I think it's like the, the, the biggest issue when it comes to sexuality research sexuality social movements discussing sexuality with your children is that people try to fill in the gaps for what they don't know without really good information reliable information and i think it's been the crater the pitfall the downfall of all our issues with sexuality and i think like anyone that could just like really intuitively say we don't know that and have the conversation about what we don't know, that would be more productive than trying to fill in the blanks, be it with, you know, theology, you know, science or evolutionary pieces that we don't fully understand. And so, yeah, I think my biggest message would be to parents, to to individuals trying to overcome this pornography compulsivity issue is take a minute to really say what do I really know about this and what don't I know about this and try to find the most accurate information to fill in the blanks and then for what you can't find information for just sit with it and I I think that could solve a lot of issues when it comes to our sexuality both individually and as a society yeah amen that beautifully perfectly said well thank you so much for coming on Julie like I seriously can't tell you how much this means to me and just to have someone that is just a source of pure knowledge and cares about truth I really do appreciate that so yeah I I wish you the best thank you for just continuing to to provide accurate information it really is very helpful (laughs) I hope that, that the women that listen to you will will be more open and talking about this and I think you're you're a force of much good so thank you Maddie Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. Have a good rest of your day. Bye. Bye.